Not the mind, not the Buddha, no things. A monk asked Nan Chuan, is there a teaching that has not yet been told to people? Nan Chuan said, there is. The monk asked, what is that teaching that has not yet been told to people? Nan Chuan replied, it is not mind, not Buddha, not a single thing. Wu Men's comment. Nan Chuan was asked by this monk, and so he completely gave away all of his family treasure. He lost much. Repeated admonitions harm one's virtue. Wordlessness is truly efficacious. efficacious. Even if you had crossed oceans, I would not have told you. Would anyone like to share? Well, I can. Uh, Lori had her hand up. Good. But I think she's muted. Are you muted, Lori? She is. No, I'm okay. Not anymore. Okay. <laughs> so um, the way I took this, it's a stab in the dark here, is that, um, so the question is, what are the... What is the question again? What is the teaching, the teaching that has, that not, has been not been told to people? So I, I was looking at it as the teachings that are not told, that, that they won't be told. Um, and why? Because to talk about them is to limit them and make them solid and make them much smaller than they really are. And so it's a disservice to, to talk about things as one single thing, that rather um, it's a question of all the causes and conditions and their consequences. It's a, you know, what you're looking at is a process of, of all the causes and conditions that are going on all at once. So to talk about one thing is to make it really too small. So that's what I came up with. So it's more, it's more a question of talking about or mentioning, you can't even describe a lot of these, like the Buddha. It was rather a process of intertwining action so that's what i have to say thank, thank you. you i like that 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 the only way to think of it, it the only way to describe it is as if it's a singular thing but it's really part of this of everything so it's it, it's impossible in that sense i wrote i'm finding in the flower koan which is a koan i'm working with that the most important teaching is the hardest to convey because it is not about anything but everything. It is impossible to describe. It is why art is not taught in art school. No one figured out how. You realize that only, that only osmosis has a chance and you do other things to keep busy. <laughs> yes. And how about in law school? Can you really teach the law or do you just teach all this other stuff? Well, it depends on which law school you go to. There's oh, that's some, true. There's some, some law schools that teach passing the bar, so it's rote recitation yeah. and memory. And then there are other schools um, like Harvard that teach legal and expansive thinking. And so, yeah. well, I'm so glad to hear you say that, Nilda, since that's where my son went. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Hopefully he got his money's worth. Yeah. <laughs> And my dad went to the University of Chicago where they taught law. Yeah. And I went to SMU where they taught money. Oh, money. <laughs> That's a third alternative. And I was their diversity. <laughs> oh, my. So I have to tell you guys, I had to look up efficacious. I looked it up, too. That's all right. Oh, good. Thank you. That was because, because I didn't know what it meant. I, I thought it meant something other than what it meant. So I'm glad I looked it up. Now it makes more sense. And here's are you, are you going to say what it is? Okay. Here, I'll share it. How's that? <laughs> there, that's what I was wanting. <laughs> yeah. Can you see it? Yes. Let's see. It says yeah. of something inanimate or abstract. Typically, if something an inanimate or abstract successful in producing a desired or intended result, Efficacious. effective. 
effective. That's what I was thinking it was, was effective. The vaccine has proved both efficacious. efficacious and safe. I guess yeah. what I'm used to is the idea that it works. Yeah. So, so another way, you know, in common day language that we might read Wu Min's uh, poem is repeated, um, repeat, what's the word for admonitions? Repeated warnings. Repeated warnings harm one's virtue. Wordlessness is truly effective. Even if you had crossed oceans, I would not have told you. And that just makes it sound so much different. Mm. So much more real. Y'all are so eloquent because I said exactly what Lori said and Kim said, just not that way. <laughs> <laughs> I said, he gave him one answer. Isn't John about personal discovery, about finding one's path through one's own path and, and um, focus on what one becomes aware of. It's not about rote recitation. I was thinking as in right. law, law school. And then this was just how, where my mind went. Um, it took me back to one of our first koans when I read the line, I would not have told you. And I just mm -hmm. kept writing over, what is woo? What is woo? What is woo? I don't understand. Mm -hmm. What is woo? Sit with it. It will unfold for you as it should. What is woo? In proper time, in a profound way, you will know what is woo. Mm. So, I like Nelda. <laughs> I still don't know what is woo, but it will <laughs> unfold. It will unfold. Yeah. Didn't that sound like yours, Lori? <laughs> no. uh, well, yeah, yeah. Playfully said that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, the babies. I love the sound of babies. Oh, I'm sorry. It's so loud. I love the sound. Anyone else want to share? Should we go on? So since Donna read the, the koan, Kim, do you mind starting? And we'll just do alphabetical, then Lori, Nancy, me, and Stephanie. Sure. Thank you. Google uh, Goose comment. A teacher is a teacher because of his or her students. Because there are many types of students, there are many teachings. The teacher's own practice is not perfect. It is in time perfected through interacting with students. <coughs> when to give teachings, when not to, when to be explicit, when to be silent. What do students need to hear in a particular moment? John practice on many levels is about intimacy, <coughs> getting to know yourself and others. Through your interactions with others, you come to know yourself. You know your own limits. You know the needs of others. The practice is continuous. Even teachers practice. The practice never stops. <coughs> Intimacy is the topic addressed in this case, the relationship between teacher and students. Recently, one of my graduate students at Florida State University graduated <clears throat> and left Tallahassee. He is already missing the time that he had there. He went to China to study and teach and will then go on to a PhD program. The relationship I had with this student was unique. Often when I said something to him, our minds would meet. He knew what I was thinking. When such intimacy is present, the teacher can really help the student as there is trust and a real meeting of minds. We call this karmic connection or karmic affinity. Who mentioned that recently? Somebody was talking about that. I think it was Flint. Anyway, sorry. 
Just a thought. Thank you, Amanda, about this, um, about intimacy many times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are times when we first meet people that we immediately feel close and the relationship, the relationship flows easily. At that other, at other times, there is no common infinity, uh, affinity. Recently, a student began studying with me. I assigned him a particular task. He is overconfident. Without understanding what was required, he said, that is very easy, too easy for me. I replied, okay, but you still need to do the work. Go through the process. If it's too easy for you, you can have the others to do it. At every turn, the student challenged whatever I said. Such challenges are actually good as they provide me with some kind of basics for learning, although not so much learning for that student. When there is a barrier, it's very hard to allow the teaching to get through. It's like a cup of a cup full of water, not a drop more can be poured. So at what point, and no one has to answer this now, I, I hear him say such challenges are actually good. They provide the teacher with a basis for learning, but not the student. But didn't the Buddha say, question all? At, question it all? And mm -hmm. so it doesn't sound like the student's not questioning. It sounds like he's just, he's just, okay. yeah. This okay. All right. Sorry, Stephanie. Forgive me for interrupting. No, no. <laughs> no, I thank you. Think of the word. Thank you. Okay. Well, there's a saying. I think it's a Tao saying: "He who speaks does not know. He who knows does not speak." And it really <laughs> fit. It really fits here that the student <laughs> thinks he knows. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A teacher's cup may also be full. In the context of Chan teachings, the teacher's practice is to respond as selflessly as possible to what is appropriate for the student. When a teacher is not selfless, when self-attachment is present, when ulterior motive or agenda is there, problems will be there. A barrier will have formed and the student will not receive help. In short, when the self is there, nothing flows. The teacher will not be able to reflect and to respond to the needs of the student. Things will not be seen clearly. The teacher's advice, therefore, will be inappropriate for the student. I'm okay. very great. Something we found with, with art teachers is those who aren't actually making art quickly go to, like, to the wrong place and become really pedantic. Mm. And I just saw that over and over again. I don't know if it would be the same in law, the lawyers that aren't practicing law. Mm. But you have to kind of stay in. And then maybe it would yeah. be the same in this thing of, of, you know, Zen teachers who aren't sitting. Right. That makes sense. I am very grateful to my teacher, who was the most congruent person I have ever met. As his attendant, I was always with him. I got to see him on stage and off, alone and with people, in public and in private. I can't say that I never saw him get angry or express the presence of self, but 99% of the time, he was selfless. When a teacher's practice is advanced, we would do well to listen to him or her and allow what the teacher says to sink in. How do you know when a teacher's practice is solid? You actually don't know because usually you see only the teacher's public persona. Except on rare occasions, most people don't usually interact with and observe teachers on a personal level. So it takes some shopping around and clear observation. There are some very basic things to observe. First, does the teacher uphold or break the precepts? Second, does the teacher have the correct views about Buddha Dharma? Although as beginning learners, you may not be so familiar with the Buddha Dharma, you can use the principles of impermanence and selflessness 
in addition to your common sense to see if his or her teachings accord with them. Third, does the teacher have Bodhi mind? Bodhi usually means awakening, but here it means whether or not the teacher's daily activities reflect selflessness, which means compassion. And lastly, ask yourself if the teacher's teachings resonate with you. Sometimes a person may be a very good teacher, but you may not feel a connection with him or her. These are all part of the causes and conditions of finding a teacher. All right, I'm next. Once you begin studying with a teacher and come to trust him or her, take seriously the teacher's advice for practice. When you run into difficulties in practice, your teacher will be able to help you solve them and mature your practice. But as you actually gain experience in the Dharma, your confidence will grow. Do not accept anything on blind faith. <coughs> I think that's what you were referring to, um, Nelda, right? Confidence, faith, and conviction grow from experience. Experience comes from practicing the Dharma, applying the teaching to your life. So this is interesting that you're to trust the teacher, but not to accept anything just because they say it, you know, all in the same paragraph. So what do you do? Learn what you can, but you got to use your own. Anyway. I like Donna's answer. She smiled. <laughs> oh, I'm next. Uh, a, monk, a monk asked Nan Kwan, is there a teaching that has not yet been told to people? Nan Kwan said, there is. The monk asked, what is that teaching that has not yet been told to people? Nan Kwan replied, it is not mind, not Buddha, not a single thing. The monk in this case surely knew the Chan. I assume that Chan is a tradition outside the doctrine, not based on words and language. It directly points to the mind. So upon seeing one's true nature, one becomes a Buddha. What teaching could he possibly want? Thus, his asking was a challenge to his teacher. Perhaps you can understand his question rephrased in this way. Generations of teachers have taught great things. Can you put something on the table that's new? <laughs> do, you, <laughs> do you have a teaching that has not yet been taught to people? Mm. The Buddha taught for 40 years. He said many things, but not, by Nanquan's time, many generations of teachers had already been blabbering about this and that. So the monk asked, is there a teaching that has not yet been told to people? He was surely expecting the answer to be no. Our tradition entails the silent or wordless teaching beyond words and language. But at that point, Nanquan responded, there it is. I'm sorry, there is. This, of course, astonished the monk. Why? Because Nanquan was a disciple of Masu, who always taught that one's own mind is Buddha. Perhaps you think remaining silent is the best way to respond to the monk's question. Not so. The task of the teacher is to draw out the most fundamental question from students a question that stems from the depth of one's being as it relates to one's own life. The monk in question may have started out by challenging Nanchuan, knowing that Nanchuan would remain silent because they both already knew that mind is Buddha. But Nanchuan lured him in and went for the kill. Ah, uh, yes, in fact, I do have a secret teaching. <laughs> Clearly, the monk still had attachments. But Nantuan's response was yes. Had the student been free of attachments, the question would have been framed differently, and perhaps Nantuan would have said no. A good teacher is like a reflecting mirror. When there is a fixed image, 
When there is something there, the mirror will reflect. When there is nothing there, there's nothing for the mirror to reflect, like two mirrors reflecting each other. So, so in in the Torah, we keep seeing this in the Torah that God is seen as as a reflection of man, and and that reflection changes throughout the Torah as man kind of evolves or changes. But it's the same deal that we can't conceive of anything except you know, as our, as we see ourselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And we only hear a small part of what someone says anyway. So we pick and choose, I think. Right. You know, the part that, that's fitting to, to our, uh, to what we believe already. <laughs> <laughs> you recognize that, right, Lori? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. You're up, Kim. In his astonishment, the monk's attachment was snatched away by Nanquan's reply. It is not mind, not Buddha, not a single thing. I think that word single is really essential. Mm -hmm. You know, like to what Lori said, that the everything. Um, that's what the monk needed to hear. Chan teaching is sometimes also called mind teaching, and mind is identical to Buddha. That's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Mind is identical to Buddha. I don't... Uh, not this mind. I don't, I don't, I don't think they're referring to the mind we, the intellectual mind, are, is he? I think it's more like what Flint was talking about in the intensive, you know. Of the heart mind? Well, at one point he was saying that mind was like realization and words was actualization. Do you remember that? Anyway. Anyway, mind is realization and words are actualization. There was something in there too. Where is that here? Yeah, that's it. Oh no, that's something different. It was in the time being. Yeah. Well, I okay. think it was his last talk. If you realize the mind, the self-nature, we realize, oh, maybe that's what mind is, the self-nature, who we are. Yeah, Buddha nature. Is it Buddha nature? Yeah, well, he says the self-nature. We realize Buddha. Nanquan responded differently to the monk. Yeah, but it's the same thing. For you, it is not wordless teaching. There is no mind, no Buddha, no thing. Isn't it true? In your daily life, you tend to make everything into things. And I think that was the other important words, is things. Yeah. What we see, hear, touch, taste, and think, we reify and solidify into something that is graspable and attainable. Some people engage in practice intellectually, conceptually, which is the way they acquire material things. The more they acquire, the more they know and become full of themselves. <laughs> this teaching surely is something that the monk already knew. The master pointed out to him that he needed to put down everything. Hmm. Having correct view is the critical factor. The correct view is that the self that's getting in your way is originally not there. Practice with that understanding. If you practice with the thought that this self is in your way or that there is something to attain, to realize, to get rid of, so that you may become clear, then this is not the Chan, the Chan view. The Chan view is this. In this moment, now, no vexations, no self. It's all good. Whatever the task at hand needs, do it. Yeah. Good. John is very different from the radio thought to 
taught by other sects of Buddhism, it provides you with the awakened view. While it gives you the, tar uh, the target, it tells you that right from the beginning, there is no target, no arrow. Still, you should shoot, uh, you must shoot. The graduate school, on the other hand, teaches that before you even shoot at the target, you have to prepare yourself by first building muscles, biceps, and triceps, getting the right clothes to exercise in, and learning to shoot something else first. In Chan, you pick up the arrow right away and start shooting. Right from the beginning, you stop aiming at the target at the goal. Finally, you realize that there is no target, no arrow. Having this view is important, lest you think you're here to get something. Practice in this way, you and you will realize that the path and the result are the same. Whether you're able to hit the target is a different matter. So there's a story about a Zen archer at Esalon. Have you guys heard of Esalon? Yeah. It's, it's in California on the coast, and it's a place where they have spiritual trees. Uh, anyway, he, he was pointing, he, he pulled back the arrow, and he was pointing toward the target. Then he turned 180 degrees and faced the ocean and shot the arrow into the ocean and then said, bullseye. Uh -huh. So I think it's, that's... Uh, Love that. No, yeah. no target. Yeah. Or not the target that <laughs> everyone expected. Everyone expects, and the yeah. you know the very um, scripted target. Yeah, right. It is fair to say that from the perspective of human beings, there is progress. There is process. From the perspective of enlightenment, however, there is no progress. Oh darn. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read it again as seriously. <laughs> From the perspective of enlightenment, however, there is no progress. So objectively, when people practice, they become more peaceful, less argumentative, more compassionate, more understanding, more insightful. This is progress. From the perspective of an enlightened person, there is no progress. Teachers see the Buddha nature in people. They see that everyone has this potential and one student is no different from another. The teacher does not get caught up in the student's vexations. The teacher does not think less of the students because they have vexations and somehow can't practice well. Nan Kwan was asked by this monk and so he completely gave away all of his family treasure. He lost much. A teacher does not hold back anything from the student. However, giving everything away is sometimes poison. Why is that? The student can easily turn a teaching into an object of attachment. Only when the time is ripe can the family treasure be revealed. This treasure doesn't take on any particular form. Sometimes the teacher needs to snatch away attachments. Sometimes he or she simply needs to point out what's there. Here's one example. Some 20 years ago, I accompanied my teacher to an intense retreat in Wales. Although I was my teacher's attendant, the organizer assigned one of his students as my attendant. In the same way that I was following my teacher around to take care of him, this student followed me around to take care of me. He had been practicing for a long time. His mind was focused and receptive. I was translating from the Chinese as my teacher gave teachings. There was one section about the nature of mind that my attendant didn't understand. He came to me after the talk for a private interview and asked, I don't understand something. This nature of mind, what is the mind? He had what John calls the sense of doubt or questioning that stemmed from the depth of his being. I could have ruined that moment by saying, let me tell you about the nature of mind. The mind is this or that. It has interconnectedness. <clears throat> it is also called Buddha nature. It's our potential to become a Buddha and so on and so forth. But the moment was right, I said. Do you want to know what mind is? <clears throat> he said, oh yes. I snapped my fingers. Did you hear that? Yes, 
that's mine. At that very moment, he dropped everything. Tears came rolling down his cheeks. All he could do was bow. He had had a glimpse of awakening. I said, good, now go back to the Chan Hall. Were the monk in, in the gong on, Nan Kwan didn't point out what's already there. He just snatched everything. He just snatched away everything <coughs> that the monk had. No mind, no Buddha, no, not a single thing. Timing is everything. Each teaching is different. Everyone is unique. Context determines the teaching. Repeated adam, ad, ad, admonitions harm one's virtue. Wordlessness is truly efficacious. Even if you had crossed oceans, I would not have told you. Laurie, you are muted. Thank you. Ah, under no circumstance should a teacher ever extinguish the light of wisdom. The yearning students have within themselves to personally find the, free, the meaning of freedom. Under no circumstance should a teacher ever extinguish the light of wisdom. The yearning students have within themselves to personally find the meaning of freedom. From the perspective of Chan, intellectualizing about what freedom is, is what what Buddha nature is, what liberation is, is like blowing out the flame. Even though Nan Kwan spoke of no mind, no Buddha, and no thing, he kept the principle of wordless teaching of Chan. Oh, this is really interesting. What part of it? Um, well, it, the part about not, not speaking, you know, when somebody wants to, has a question about something and then not speaking about that. Todd gave a, a talk one time and I can't remember really what it was about. I guess it was about enlightenment. And somebody at the end of it said, well, what is enlightenment? Can you give us an example? And he was quiet. How do you describe it? Uh, well, and I, and I, of course, me, the blabbermouth, pipes up and says, well, an example of lightning activity is blah, 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 blah. You know, this kind of skillful means, but I should have kept my mouth shut. <laughs> Bottom line of that. Well, it's kind of a sacrilege that we keep doing, isn't it, to talk about. Yeah. Well, especially because is, isn't that... What this koan is saying that when the student, us, keep asking for the teaching or the, the answer, what we should be doing is looking inside, looking at ourselves, asking inside, instead of continually asking someone else to tell us what the answer is. Yeah, and that came up in a koan not too long ago. Do you remember that? The one about, um, anyway, it was precisely that about not asking the teacher. Oh, it was about the old woman. Oh, I did it in another in, on the Wednesday night. That's why you're looking at me. <laughs> yeah, it's that was the woman from Tesan. It was precisely about that. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, this is good. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and here's, here's why. Um, it's funny, I just called Peg tonight and left a message mm -hmm. to say, I, I don't understand, help me understand. And all of my questions around the don't understand without talking about the topic have to do with, did I break a precept and I'm not, a, you know, not aware of it? Did I... Did I not honor someone's Buddha nature? Did I, I have all these questions that I've asked myself about this circumstance? Did I, you know, ex exhibit power up, power down? I, I mean, I, I truly don't understand. 
And it would be helpful to have my teacher as my mirror reflect to me what areas I might want to look at and examine further. I, so I'm, um, okay, I'll, I'll listen to the master who wrote this and I'll, I, I might call Peg back and say, never mind, I'll figure it out. But that, that doesn't resonate with me in the moment. It's, it's very helpful for someone in this boundless path sort of point me if I'm about to fall into the abyss <laughs> or if I can look in you know in this other area for for guidance so yeah I um I'm struggling with this one mm. well yeah. maybe <clears throat> a possibility is that um you know the, the, the wordlessness or, or the you know, the lack of response may be that um, your, your understanding of your confusion is not, you know, is, um, I'm sorry, it's been my little, my Zen language brain is just, it has been, been off for a month. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, maybe it, the unknowing really is what you need right now, and that um, it's the the unknowing, the it, it, the longing for knowing. Mm. Boy, we all understand that, mm. um, but you know, maybe um, to sort of throw it into a Sufi mode. You know, they talk about, you know, the chickpea bubbling in the stew and it's bubbling up to the top. No, it needs, they have to poke it back down because it needs to cook. So, you mm. know, alas, you're being cooked and, you know, mm. it's uncomfortable. It's, you know, it's not, not an easy thing to experience, but um, with you know, a certain amount of acceptance of not knowing and, you know, finding you're, you're building your skill at the same time to respond in the here and now. And, it, you know, when, when, when the teacher thinks, you know, you're right to reflect, I'm sure it will be there. But I somehow I get the sense that you're, you're like that Sufi chickpea that's cooking right now. <laughs> I don't know. So all I know is that I don't know and I don't know if 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 somehow I offended or if somehow I um, crossed a boundary or if somehow I broke a precept to the point that it harmed someone and it would be really nice to know so I can make amends. So so I, I just want to say that I really agree with what Donna is saying. I mean, wholeheartedly. And I think because I'm so much like you, Nelda, so much like you, it's like, I cannot tell you how often I run to Peg. Oh my God, what have I done? You know, tell me what, how I, I don't understand. Why did I do this? And what I have found over the, just the few recent years is more like what Donna is saying. Peg, okay. Yeah, Peg, um, you know, at first it was really hard because I wanted her to tell me what I had done and what I needed to do to to fix it. And instead, what I ended up coming away with more often than not was I needed to sit with it. Mm. I needed to just sit with it because what I was trying to do was to get relief for my discomfort mm. because I was so unhappy confused, afraid that I had hurt someone or done something yeah. wrong, that I wanted someone to tell me I was okay, or that here's what I could do to make it okay. And instead, what I was encouraged to do was to just sit with it. And it is amazing what that percolating does. Oh, but when do we get to make amends? Oh, you'll know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean that that's the beautiful part of it, you know, that you will know. Absolutely. Okay. 
I just, you know, if I've harmed someone, I want to make amends. No one has to tell me how. Trust me, I'll figure a hundred ways to do that. But, but Maybe all what, wrong, right? <laughs> but, but you know what, Nelda, that, that's exactly the issue, what you just said. It may be all wrong, but I'll do it. I'll make amends. But, but the problem is sometimes we jump in with, with the right intention, but the wrong the wrong mind about it. They're not seeing clearly. Our intention is good. We want to stop this person from suffering. We want to stop the harm we have caused. Although we may not have actually been the cause of the harm. We don't know that yet, but we think we have. But so often when we jump in too quick, we make amends before it's time to make amends. The situation may need to sit like it is for a while for both of you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you all. Thank yeah, you. you're in a really hard place. Like Donna said, you are really in a hard place. Yeah. And I'm sorry. It's life. It is. And it's hard. It's hard sometimes. Yeah. But it's good. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. It's like cooking potatoes. Now your potato is raw. <laughs> After yeah. finish cooking, you will have a great meal. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. We Nick. shall see. <laughs> we shall see. So, do we have to read the last paragraph? It seems to be about what we're talking about. Well, that you know, I'm like, so I need to call her back and say, never mind. I'm not done cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, everyone's telling me I'm not done cooking. So I trust and love these people. So I'm going to continue to do that. Trust and love them. <laughs> so I got to tell this one more story. I'm sorry. So there was a head student and he knew everything. And so a teacher, a new teacher comes to town to test him. And the question is, have you guys heard this story? The question was, so we asked the young kid, um, so what was your original face or who were you before you were born? I have heard this story. And, and so the kid doesn't know. He's, he's learned all, everything, but he doesn't know that. So he goes off and he um, works for 20 years on this. And then he comes back to that teacher and he says, I got the answer. And he tells the teacher the answer, and the teacher says, that's good. And then he says, well, why didn't, why didn't you tell me the answer? Which is what Nelda's kind of asking. And he said, you, you would have hated me or if, if I did that, or that wouldn't have been any good. Mm. So I think it's the same. I, I like that story. story. Because yeah. there's you know, just a, like so a timing. Different. It's so in, in some ways, I guess this is incongruent with all that I've learned and practiced my whole life in interpersonal relationships. Because if you think you've offended someone, you go to that person and you say, I have the impression I offended you. Please tell me, you know, and then they tell you what you might have done. And it, you know, it didn't matter what your intention was. If you offended them, you say, I'm so sorry. I'm right. so sorry. And that's, I guess that's all I'm, I guess that's something I, you know, have so practiced. And so instead of defending my position, or it's like, you know, it's all about what does it take to heal? You go, I am so sorry. You know, how can we heal this? And this is so different. It's like, no, no, you don't need to know what, who you hurt, what you did to sit with it. And I'm like, no, that's so incongruent with uh, interpersonal relationship practice in some ways. So it's hard for me. Yeah. Mm. You're still the last paragraph. Yeah, let's, let's read the last paragraph. <laughs> let's get yeah. there. In your own life, please do not seek out answers from your teacher. If you are uncertain about who you oh are gosh. or what the mind is, ask only to find it within yourself. Question your own being. On the teachings your teacher can offer point to this. Do not take not mine, not Muda, 
not a single thing as some kind of ultimate learner teaching. It is not. What is it then? That was a perfect paragraph. I think he changed it after we had our little discussion. (laughs) Someone snuck it in. (laughs) Call Peg, tell her never mind. Boy, there's a part of me that is fighting this koan. I'm going to go to bed and reread it before I fall asleep. (laughs) In the, in the, does a dog have Buddha nature? When we, my friend that I just was talking to the other day, he, he knows ancient Chinese. And there's this line that never is never translated. Having been asked, does a dog have Buddha nature? And it's that kind of thing where if you're asked a question, you'll give a different response than just the question itself. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, yes. It's like when people, and I know I do this sometimes, when people say, ask a question, and really they're getting at the answer. They're looking for an answer to a different question, but they formulated it in that question, but they're really looking for a different answer. So having been asked that, my answer sometimes is, I'll answer a different question and I think my answer will give you the answer to your question. Yeah, having been asked, yeah. Can y'all tell I broke my glasses? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's pair number five, you know, so I'll find the ones that aren't broken in a little bit, but I couldn't find them. I think the question is often, question, I have found, I realized recently, a lot of times I ask people questions. Um, I ask their opinions for things. I'm trying to make a decision about something. But actually, I don't really want to know their opinions. <laughs> I've already, I, well, I just realized that maybe that's not always true, but I already have an idea about something. And, and actually, there was something that came up with it. This is about my dead, well, my dying tree. I don't think it's dying. But anyway, uh, I, so what I, I, I had a professional come in to see if he thought it was dying, what I should do with it. And he said, well, we just chop it down. And I realized that I didn't feel like that was an option because it was sprouting and and forming blossoms. And so uh, I've maintained that opinion and I'm trying to figure out another solution. So it wasn't really that I was asking him (laughs) what I should do. I was wanting him to join me in my opinion and then we move (laughs) forward. (laughs) And I do that a lot. I realize I do that. I, anyway, that's just what I do. It's not a very... And, I, and so I need to be more careful when I ask people questions and really, a lot of times I don't know that, that that's what I'm doing, but I've realized it as afterthoughts. I find, Lori, thank you for that. I find input from um, Sangha teachers and friends and mentors very helpful because I, in, 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 in asking, well, what do you think and why? I realize I have so many blind spots. Mm-hmm. I, I see things a certain way and I, and that's the direction I lean. And then when someone expresses something different, I, I, one, I'll tell you one example. I was so grateful to Steve for this, who pulled up the boards on the, on the, um, the deck mm-hmm. and he pulled up the boards and uh, I kind of did this. Well, it is what it is about, you know, having to remove part of the deck at some point in time. But, but there was this ugh, kind of, you know, it is what it is, but, you know, I'd really rather not be that way. And he completely changed my paradigm by saying, yeah, but that's one happy tree to have grown so much. And I'm like, yes, the heck with the deck. Look at how this tree is, right? So those little bits of input, I love hearing, even if I don't want to be that darn chickpea, right? I love hearing (laughs) 
all these different perspectives because I'm so, I have so many blind sides. It's very helpful, which is another reason why I call on my teachers and mentors and friends, like, you know, help me take off some blinders I might not even know I'm wearing. Yeah, I, I think that that's true. And I know I certainly have lots of blinders, but I also know that I have a, some things I'm already decided on it. And really what I'm wanting is somebody to empathize with me so I can move forward, you know? That's really what I'm looking for. And I don't realize it. And I yeah. ask another question. That's yeah. Well, Lori, here's that. what you can do about that. Oh, okay. So call me and I'll say, what expert do you want today? And you'll say, oh, tree expert. And I'll say, I'm a tree expert and I charge this per hour. And then I will agree with you and you can write me a check and then you're good. Near is satisfying. I think I like, I like arguing with you. Yeah. You're, I wanted to. you like your mind being moved a little bit. Yeah. Anyway. Well, Nelda. Always yes. remember that you're not, uh, as a chickpea in a pot, you are not alone. Nobody cooks one chickpea. So you are surrounded <laughs> well, by all, all, sorts of all kinds of people who are that's being true. along with you. And so you're, and transforming you know, each other, right? right? I remember a Christian sermon, this beautiful bishop, oh, with that resonant voice, talked about how Without any one of us, the gumbo would not be as delicious. If you didn't have the, the okra, and I'm like, Ugh, but you know, the okra and the tomatoes and the, this, and he's just describing how it simmers and the spices and that each one adds to the flavor of the other to make it exponentially better. And I thought, isn't that how people are, right? So yeah, I'll, I'll keep in mind that there are a lot of chick chickpeas and that all the different things that are part of the gumbo, all the dependent arisings will make me richer for being there. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to go. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for you.